0: I opened last week with a little bit about my, my story, and I can't remember all the details of what I told you, but uh, um, my, my story, my personal story is one of uh, just a, a lot of experience of shame, and um, part of it just, just comes from the way that I grew up. In, in life, in church, um, but I, I think I remember, like, the most, uh, most difficult parts of my story. I don't know why I'm tearing up right now. There's probably some good reasons for that, but the, the most di- difficult parts of my story are, are things that, uh, that, that labeled me, that labeled who I am what an amazing song to have just sung. It talks about there's a, a relabeling that happens in our life when when we become believers. I hope I can make it through this sermon we are we're, I'm not even sure we're a minute in here, but uh my story um growing up in a in a christian home it was uh, kind of a fundamentalist Christian home. There's a lot of moral expi- expectation from uh, that church environment. There's an expectation that I would be good and that I would do what's right. And so I was dogged as a, as a young kid with the idea that I better be good or dad will lose his job because my dad was a preacher. You can't be a preacher when your kids are uh, hellions like I was so I had to get good at covering it up. I had to get good at covering up the fact that I was somebody who was deeply in need of of change. And then I went to school and I was a bad student and uh, I did not excel in that at all. And uh, there was a lot of shame from that. And in our school there was corporal punishment so if you didn't do your homework you're pulled out of class and you were spanked and everybody knows you got spanked because you came back in crying like I am right now, you know. And so there was shame in, involved in that and so I, I kind of came to this place where I was like uh, I hated reading, I hated doing homework, I hated doing anything. And there was, there was, uh, went on from there and and just, there there was just this sense of I cannot please God. Like if I... If I have a relationship with God, then why can't I please Him? Why can't I make Him happy? Why can't, why can't, um, why can't I do what's right? And so, so much of that spoke shame over my life. Because it was, it was really true. I was a guy who, who uh, just struggled, struggled so much with growing up in a religious home. And, uh, not being able to fulfill all the standards that I thought were set for me, not being able to fulfill anything in school. And so I think I told you last week, um, just about how I had kind of been discipled by my older brother, uh, not in the ways of Jesus, but in the ways of, of how to survive in life, how to survive life according to a worldly way. And I, I love my brother deeply, um, um, but it, we just figured out how to survive. We figured out how to, how to do that. I don't know what your story is like, but I, I'd be willing to bet that if we sat and we talked about your story, that um, there's many of us in this room that have deep pain. Some of us have deep pain that we don't even know about yet. There's deep pain. There's many, many people in this room that have been sexually abused, more women than men, there's many people that have been physically abused. There's many people, and it's not just like the, the bad stuff, but it's, it's even the, uh, or the really bad stuff, but it's, it's even just the way that you felt about your parents. It's the way that you grew up. It's the way that you experienced life. I'll bet if we sat down and, and had talked about your story, and if I really got to know you, and, I, and, and you felt comfortable sharing, that there would probably be some deeply hurtful things in your life that would, that would make you cry. Then it wouldn't feel so bad about me crying on stage, right? (laughs) Uh, All of us have a story. All of us have a story that, um, if we're honest, is is heartbreaking on some level. All of us have a story of shame. And some of us have a story, not that we were shamed, but a story of how to avoid shame. How to avoid um, becoming shameful. Some of us have a story of perhaps you grew up poor, or what you saw as poor, and you were made fun of for that, and so you grew up in life saying, I'm never going to deal with that shame again, and so your shame is not necessarily, it may be because you were poor, but now it has turned into, here are the ways to avoid shame. It is to act in these ways. Shame a huge part of our, of our story. Shame is a massive part of our story. And as we grow up and as we're discipled, we said last week that we're, we're all, we are all disciples of something. A disciple is not necessarily a religious word. It simply means a learner or a student. We're all a student of something and we've grown up in this world and we've become a student of life. And our tutelage, if you will, has involved, our our curriculum has involved one thing, and that is, how do I avoid shame? Or we might also say, uh, here is why I am shameful. I was taught that I am full of shame. So we're all disciples of something, and we really read this passage out of uh, John chapter 8, Where Jesus says, John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You're my learners, you're my students, if you abide in my word. And then he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what we talked about last week was this idea that any other rabbi, any other teacher any other discipler in our life other than Jesus puts a weight on us, and that weight is this. It is a, a teaching in, uh, not in the truth, but in lies. Even unintentionally, good people that teach us good things, how to, how to exist in this world, how to survive, how to get by. Jesus says that His teaching That his his word brings about a knowledge that does not enslave you. So all of this knowledge that we've gained from life, the knowledge that I gained from my life that that said, Matt, you are shameful, you have shame. All of that knowledge was a, a lie. And the truth is, is that Jesus, as my teacher, can set me free. So at Outward Church, what we say is we say this, we exist to make disciples who love Jesus and live outward. And we we say that for a reason, and that's because Jesus makes it really clear that what our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ, the church, is like the one thing that we're supposed to be doing is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus left his disciples with and he says I want you to go and replicate yourselves and make further disciples of me teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded says in Matthew 28. And so that was Jesus command that that's what needs to happen. And so what we say is we want to make disciples it's really disciples of Jesus Christ but we're going to say disciples who love Jesus and live outward. So we're going to spend three weeks on what it means to love Jesus, and then we're going to spend another three weeks on what it means to live outward. One of them is the inward component of we got to get right with God, and then the other one is obviously the outward component, to live outward. What does it mean to live out of the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and to see that play out in our lives in an outward fashion? So that's what we're doing over the next... A uh, couple of weeks. Today, we're talking about His story. Disciples who are marked by Jesus. Disciples who are mar- marked by Jesus are marked by His story, His people, and His rule. In fact, I think we have some slides in there. I, I think I forgot to tell you to put them in there. They may or may not have them, but We exist to make disciples. Is there another one that says, oh, there we go. Disciples who love Jesus are marked by his story, his people, and his rule. So we're going to be talking about his story. If we are going to be people, disciples, what does a disciple mean? A disciple is somebody who is marked by his story. We just got kind of done talking about my story, but we want to be marked By his story. So here's the thing. Why do we need his story? Because our story, the theme of our story that we've been taught as a learner or a disciple is to, uh, the theme of that story is shame and how we deal with it. The theme of our current story before Jesus Christ is how we deal with shame and the problem is is that we often keep reverting to that instead of staying in line with Jesus story we're in line with our story and we we, we, we keep kind of leaving that and going to another story so I've been reading a book by Kirk Thompson and it's called the soul of shame and he kind of talks about this idea that each of us have an internal narrator that comments on the events of our lives and endows those events with various meanings. That narrator tells us why we should feel shame and also provides solutions to help us avoid shame. So each of us has an internal narrator inside of our minds. That narrator is coming from all of our experiences in life, and that narrator is telling us You will feel shame if you do this. In some ways, it's a good gift from God because it helps us avoid doing really bad things. However, psychotic people, serial killers, people like that, whatever, narcissists, those types of people have learned to shut that idea of shame down. But each of us has this internal narrator that says this will be shameful and this will be not. And this will not be shameful. This is how you live life. This is what, what should be taking place in your life. So our story is essentially told in our minds by this narrator that says either you are shameful because you did do this. Or you will not be shameful if you don't do that. So we have this internal narrator. This guy, Kurt Thompson, goes on to say this. He says, shame is not just a consequence of something our first parents, that's Adam and Eve, did in the garden. Shame is not just a consequence of what, of their sin in the garden. It is the emotional weapon that evil uses to, one, corrupt our relationships with God and each other, and two, disintegrate any and all gifts of vocational vision and creativity. What this is saying is that, like, shame is the driving force behind my disconnection with God And it's also the driving force behind my disconnection with other people. Shame is the reason why my relationship with my spouse is tested at times. Shame is the reason why I have bad relationships in uh, my work. Shame is the reason why I don't operate out of freedom, but I operate out of guilt. Or I operate out of uh, desire for glory for myself. He goes on to say, These gifts, these gifts that we uh, don't use because of shame, include any area of endeavor that promotes goodness, beauty, and joy in and for the lives of others, whether that be teaching our first graders, loving our spouse well, managing forests, conducting healing prayer services creating a new medical technology, offering psychotherapy, or composing symphonies. This shame keeps us from that. Shame is a primary means to prevent us from using the gifts we have been given. And those gifts enable us to flourish as a light-bearing community of Jesus followers who work to create space for others who wish to join it to do so. Shame, therefore, is not simply an unfortunate, random, emotional event that came with us out of the primordial evolutionary soup. It is both a source and result of evil's active assault on God's creation and a way for evil to try to hold out until the new heaven and earth appear at the consummation of history. Our shame, what we deal with from our past, is ultimately the driving force behind why things are not working well. Think about the major events in our world today. Think about the, 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 like, uh, when, when you really think about it, when you get down to it, when you look at whatever it is that happens in our world today, you can pinpoint, you can look back at, why did this person commit that heinous act? Or Why did I do this in my life? You can get back to a source of shame that drove me to do that That drove me. I don't have the success that I want and so I cheat and steal to get it Why did I cheat and steal to get that because I felt shame because I did not have the success that I wanted It just it goes on and on shame is driving our story And the problem is, is that our world says, hey, never mind that. Don't feel any shame. Don't pay any attention to that. You hear that all the time when it comes to areas of sexuality. When it comes to the way that we live or uh, any, any such thing. Our world is repeatedly saying to people, don't let anybody tell you not to do this or not to do that. You be you. You do what you're going to do. And we're putting that out there for people as though this is the truth. As though the truth is that if you, if you just shut down that area of shame, then you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. You can go on living life and they, they will point the finger at the Christians, the evangelical Christians. They'll, they'll call us fundamentalists because our view on, uh, on biblical sexuality, biblical marriage. They will call us all those names. But the truth is our world gets worse and worse and worse. Our story is one of shame because we've been discipled. We've been taught by this world. And Jesus says, you must abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's the truth? What's the truth about you and I? And about our story? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, tells the story in stark terms. What is our story? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, (coughs) And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you were dead. He's talking to people who are Christians. And he's saying to them, this is who you were before Christ. All of that, that discipleship that you gained from this world. Every, everything that you look at your life, you say, you know, I've learned a lot of good things. All of that stuff. Jesus looks at it, God looks at it, and he says that there's a death there. That there's a death that came about because of our first parents' sin. Yes, Adam and Eve's sin brought sin to all of us. So we were doomed from the beginning But the truth is is that this deadness is working its way out in our life. And this deadness is saying that you are shameful or you will experience shame if you do not act in these ways. And what God says is this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now we'll stop right there. What, what is that saying? It's saying what the truth is. It's saying the reality about who I am is that I'm completely lost. All of the discipleship that I received prior to Jesus was all a discipleship in learning shame, in learning sin. And ultimately it comes back to the prince of the power of the air. Who's it talking about? The evil one, Satan. It's saying that this world is dominated by this evil one, who is propagating death. He's bringing about death, and he's doing that through bringing shame on us. He's doing that so that we experience shame, so that we can be told a lie, which is, you don't need God. You don't need God to to tell you anything. What's he say to Eve? God knows that you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know better than God. Listen to your earthly disciples. Listen to them. Eat of this fruit, and your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You're not going to feel shame. But the truth is what happens to Adam and Eve is this, is that they immediately become aware of their nakedness. And there was immediately shame because they went and hid See, our lives are one of hiding. Our lives are one of hiding as we hide because of our shame. As we, as we hide our true intentions, as we hide what's actually going on in us. And so what has to happen first is that in order to understand his story, you got to start with your story. And your story, and you have to say the truth about your story. you got to believe the truth about who you are. And who we are and the truth about us is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. There's no amount of me working or trying to be a good person. There's no amount of me kind of cleaning myself up so that I can be acceptable to God. What this says is it's de facto. It's like you're dead. You don't have a prayer. You cannot make it out of this shame cycle. You cannot do anything to change that. So the first thing that we need is we need the truth about us and about our story. Our story is a story of shame that results in death. Ultimate, final, complete, eternal death slash damnation. That is our story. So then the question is this. What is his story? What is The story of God. Well, here at our church, we talk about the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot. But I I wanted to break it down more so that we can kind of understand. Okay, here's our story. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Our shame is is having its way in our life. We have no way out of that. But the gospel is God's story of redemption that comes to fulfillment in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. It has the possibility of not just morally restraining you, as Tim Keller says, but supernaturally changing you. See, many people come to church and they think, I need to be morally restrained. My story. I need to morally restrain the girls that I'm with as a young man, I need to morally restrain. The alcohol that I'm drinking, the, the drugs that I'm taking part in, I need to morally restrain the fact that I was shoplifting all the time. I need to morally restrain. I just have to stop this. But what the gospel says is that it cannot be about my moral restraint. It has to be about supernatural change. It must be about supernatural change. Otherwise, nothing happened in your life. His story is what changes us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel... I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The Apostle Paul says, you, this is the thing. It's the most important thing. It's the beginning point, it's the middle, and it's the end. It is all of the Christian life. The gospel is the point. If you come in here today and you say, I don't know what Christianity is about. The the place where we start and end is the gospel. Paul says, I want to tell you again what the gospel is. And what is the gospel? The gospel is a story. The gospel is God's story of redemption throughout all of time. And it comes to fulfillment in Jesus That's why Paul says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The most important thing about our life is the gospel. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 through uh, through 9. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Stop right there for a second. The perennial habit of Christians throughout all of time has been that they believe the gospel and then they desert the gospel. There's a, not all of us in here grew up in church, but many of us did. And what happened was this someone would say, the music would be playing in the back. And they'd say, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, I want every head bowed, I want every eye closed, no one looking around, no one's going to say anything. Just raise your hand, and and you can receive Jesus. Now let me just say something real quick. That that is legitimate. You may have raised your hand and you became a believer. That happens. That, that did happen. Billy Graham crusades. There's people in this room, I think, that came to faith through a Billy Graham crusade. Praise God for that. But the problem with that was, was that people believed that the gospel was for the hand raising. That's what I did. And not that The gospel was for my life. Jesus says, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Jesus didn't say, If you pray a prayer, then you're my disciples. Jesus didn't say, If you walk an aisle and come forward, then you're my disciples. Jesus didn't say, If you live morally, Jesus didn't say those things. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And abiding in his word is different than just walking an aisle. And so these people were deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and they're turning to a different gospel. So, what were they turning to? He says in verse 7, Galatians chapter uh, 1, verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort. The gospel of Christ. That's true today. There's many people who unintentionally even are distorting the truth. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul wants to make really, really clear that we get his story right. We understand our story that we're dead, that we're lifeless. We're not free, we're slaves. That's the truth about us. The gospel is his story, and we must get it right. And so we continue to read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. In fact, back up a verse. Uh, like the rest of mankind, uh, I'm sorry, um, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, one of my favorite just statements there. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses even when we were thinking the way out of shame is to kill it with drinking too much or to kill it with uh, drug use or to kill it with sex or to kill it with relationships if i just have more relationships then i won't feel so shameful about the fact that i don't have the relationships that i want If if i do this if i do that if i do if i do the other thing then i'll feel better but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, even when we were listening to that that discipler that was leading us into sin, even when we were listening to that narrator that was saying, you are full of shame. Do this, do that, make up for it. God, he loved us and he made us alive together with Christ. It's not that like somehow I got, uh, undead, I swam up off the bottom of the pool, and I was like, God, I want to do what's right, and I'm going to start doing what's right. No, it is God who goes down to the bottom of the pool. He raises us, us to life. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even while I was against him, while I sinned against him constantly, he came and he lifted me up. Why? Was it because I or you just did a little bit better? Was it because I just was somebody who really had a knack for Christian things and I just became more moral? Was it because I wanted to turn over a new leaf? Was it because anything else? No, it just comes down to this. But because of his great love for us. His great love for us. You and I, we're sitting in a pigsty. We're sitting in a place that's full of shame. We're sitting in a place that is without God. We're sitting in a place of absolute desolation. We have tried to make sense of our lives. We have tried to avoid the shame. We have tried to make up for the things that we've done wrong and we cannot do it. And the only way to come to a point of receiving his story is to realize that my story is just brokenness. I'm just broken. Like I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. And what God says is you can't do anything. You can't fix it. You cannot affect your salvation. God being rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Paul has this great knack. The apostle Paul who's writing this has this this thing where he starts to talk and then all of a sudden he'll interrupt himself in the middle of a sentence. He'll he'll just get excited. And so he says, he says, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Do you see what he's doing? He says he made you uh, alive together with Christ. It's grace. It's not anything that you could do. By grace you've been saved. He says, and raised us up with him. He didn't wait. He didn't say, all right, I did a little bit. Now you, you go the rest of the way. He didn't say, I saved you. Now you better do something with it. It's like the movie Saving Private Ryan. I saved you. Now, now, now do your best to live up to that. What this says is that he wasn't waiting for us to do our best. He raised us up with him. And he gave us a place of honor. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What happened when I got saved was not that I'm hoping to attain to this or that or the other thing. It is that it is already there. God is the one who has done this in our life. He raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, think about that for just a second. We're dead and lifeless. He saves us. Even when we were just sinning against Him, doing whatever we wanted... He raises us with us. He gives us a a seat of honor with him. And and, and it's for the purpose of, so that in the coming ages, so that for all of eternity, he he wants to show you, like, this is where God's love is at for you. This is what, many of us walked into this room this morning feeling like, I'm not sure that God loves me. I'm not sure that he cares for the things that I've been doing. But like he raises us up and he seats us with him and it's so that he wants to to show you. He just wants to lavish on you. He just wants to show you that he loves you. The immeasurable... Riches of his grace, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look at all the descriptors there. The immeasurable. It's without measure. It's it's it's. This is something that that you cannot measure. It's the riches of his grace. Like what comes out of the love of God is God's love is expressed to you in grace. God's love is is expressed to you in this, that you cannot out-sin God. You can't run faster than God's hug. You can't shame yourself enough that God would say, you know what, you're right. This this really was a bad idea. Let's just part ways. Let's just cancel this contract. God is is running after you, and he's really not running after you because he has you. But as we think about it, we're running from God, and God is just saying, I'm just here, and I'm just going to show you, and I'm just going to lavish on you the immeasurable riches of my grace. I'm just going to show it to you, and then I'm going to show it to you again. And then I'm going to show it to you a little bit more. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to love you. It's like with my kids, when when they're doing stuff. I know that's very descriptive, but... <laughs> <laughs> trying, uh, trying to say this in, in a way that they're doing stuff that makes you upset. And more than upset, it's like... oh my gosh and seriously like the rage that builds up in you like oh no you did not just say that to me like and what's that they can probably hear me okay my wife is like shh okay we'll whisper Ah." I'll leave it at that but here's here's the thing The feeling that you have is that you just, like, I have to show them how upset I am so that they will change their behavior. And that is not the way that God works with you. That is not the way that God works with me. God doesn't show you how upset he is at your behavior. He goes the opposite direction and he says, I want to show you how much I love you, even in the midst of your behavior. Do you see what that is? See, that's grace. That is the gospel. See, God's story is so much different than our story. I I, I have to finish. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God's gift to you is not just a one-and-done gospel that says, I've forgiven you for everything else, but if you screw up, if you step out of line, then you're going to see my anger. No, God's word to you is ongoing grace upon ongoing grace that he lavishes on you, that he calls immeasurable, and he says that these are riches, and you can't get enough of it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Oh, I, I have a, the other half of my sermon to do. But uh, you're going to have to come back. And here's why. Because the perennial problem with Christians is that they forget how to apply it. Our problem is forgetting how to apply the gospel every single day, and if you miss this, if you miss what I'm gonna tell you next week, I'm not gonna tell you now, okay? You have to come back. If you miss it, you are missing the riches of God's grace and you are entering back into your story and you're saying thank you God very much I'm going to go back to my story and I'm going to continue to live in my story my story of shame and try to fix my problem if you do that which by the way all of us even your pastor one of your pastors does this on a regular basis so we're going to talk about What it looks like to apply the gospel to your life. What it looks like to apply his story. What it looks like to take his story and to make it your story. God's word to you is that his story has to become your story. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, I'm praying so much for those in this room that don't feel your gospel. Lord, the truth is I feel like that all the time when I say, Lord, I don't feel your gospel today. I don't feel the truth of your story, your love for me. God, so I'm praying right now that supernaturally that you would insert in us the faith to believe the truth about how much you love us and how much you care for us. And Lord, that it would supernaturally change us, not just morally restrain us from sin, but Lord, that we would be different people as a result. Lord, I'm praying that for us. Lord, for those that walked in thinking that they needed to fix themselves before they came to God, that they need to be more moral. Lord, I pray that you would do away with that ridiculous notion that they could ever fix themselves enough that they'd see themselves as dead without God and see themselves as alive when they truly believe your story for them. It's in your name we pray, amen.